Do you love Jesus this morning? He's a good God. All the time. He never fails. How many have ever failed Him? Don't even raise your hands. We know the answer to that. Amen? We've all failed God and failed God on a daily basis. You think that keeps Him from loving you? No. You think that causes Him to love you less? You think it causes Him to love you more? No. He loves you, flat out loves you. No matter who you are or what you're doing, God has good plans for you. Do you believe that this morning? I believe that with all of my heart. By the way, happy Palm Sunday. Happy Palm Sunday, the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem Jerusalem triumphantly as a king on a donkey. Amen? He rode triumphantly into Jerusalem. But in our series today, we're going to actually be talking about thirst. How many of you have ever been thirsty? Anybody ever been thirsty? We've all been thirsty. I remember in construction, in my construction business days, I remember there were times during the summer I would get really, really thirsty. Spring would hit, summer would come, we would get in the middle of uh, building homes, remodeling homes, tearing off roofs. How many have ever torn off a black roof on a 98 degree day? Let me just say it's miserable, to say the least. But one of the most important things that I would bring out to the job site wasn't necessarily my hammer or my tape measure, it was my cooler. I remember Cheryl always wanted me to bring water. I would have rather, and I did, bring ice cold Coca-Cola. The only problem with that was I could pop one of those cans and chug it down in a heartbeat, and it didn't, it might have tasted cold and good, but it didn't last. It didn't quench my thirst. About 10 minutes later, I'm ready for another one. How many of you, when you think back, have ever been at a point in your life where you were real thirsty? And in fact, in your mind, you thought, if I don't get something, I'm going to die. Anybody ever feel that that thirsty? Probably not, really. But if you get to that point, it's not a good place to be, right? How long do you think you can last and survive without a drink of water? How long do you think you can last? Not very long. You can live a lot longer without food. You can live up to three weeks without food, but only about three or four days without water. Think about it. That's kind of scary. When you think, I've only got three or four days uh, of life left if I don't get some kind of liquid, some kind of water. And a week is, let's say, the maximum. And that's only based off of observations that we see in hospitals and in hospice care where the food and water has basically been stopped. So water, to say the least, with what I've said so far, is vital. Water is vital for our survival. Water is vital for life. We're looking at the last seven statements in this series that Jesus made while hanging and dying upon a cross. Last week we talked about Jesus' intense feeling of being abandoned by His Heavenly Father, and He was for a time. But today, the thing we're going to look at today is a small phrase that Jesus spoke while He was hanging on the cross. Only three words, but three words with amazing potential, amazing power, amazing meaning. But we tend to, if we're reading this text, we tend to gloss right through it and keep going. But you have to stop and remember the context. If you're a dying person who is hanging on a cross, who has been beaten to death, nailed to a cross, and you literally have to push yourself up on that cross just to catch your next breath and utter your next word, Let's just say those words that you're about to speak are going to be important words to say. Amen? 
important words to say, but important words to also hear. So let's look at this statement. It's in John chapter 19, verse 28. It says, Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. I am thirsty. Can we all say that together? I am thirsty. Let's say it again. I am thirsty. Those are the three words we're going to focus on today in our series. Verse 29 says, A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, but the sponge put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, with that, he bound his head and gave up his spirit. That phrase, I am thirsty, I believe of all the seven statements that Jesus said while hanging and dying on that cross was probably the easiest for us to actually relate to. And I only say that because we all know what it's like to be thirsty. But I will say this, this had a whole lot more to do than with just his physical need, with his physical thirst. It goes a lot deeper than that. And keep in mind, this was not the first time that Jesus had the opportunity to get something to drink while he was being crucified. They gave him the opportunity early on in the crucifixion, and he refused it. Mark puts it this way in Mark chapter 15, verse 22. It says they brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. They offered Jesus wine mixed with myrrh. Historically, Jewish women would provide this concoction to numb the pain and ease the suffering of those being crucified on the cross. I think of what we would do. Most of us would have taken it and said, keep them coming. Amen? We would have. But Jesus said no. Why did he say no? He knew exactly what he was about to face and he didn't want to numb that pain. And he definitely didn't want to be unconscious during that crucifixion. I would say our Lord wanted to be all in. Our Lord wanted to be all there as he paid for our sins. He wanted to be fully coherent of everything as bad as it was that was going on. So why did he ask for a drink at the end of this crucifixion? That leads me to my first point that I'm going to make today of what this little phrase, I am thirsty, reveals to us. If you're taking notes, number one, it provides, it proves that he is the Messiah. It prov proves that he is the Messiah. I would say the show through the fulfillment of scripture that he was the Messiah. Look what it says in verse 28. It said, and so that the scripture the word of God would be fulfilled. Jesus said, I am thirsty. What's that tell us? That it was prophesied that he would go through this. It was prophesied that he would say that. In Psalms chapter 22, verse 15, it predicted the thirst of Christ way back thousands of years earlier in a psalmist's words. When it said, my strength is dried up like a potsherd, my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. That's pretty dry. When your tongue sticks to the roof of your mouth. In Psalm 69, verse 21, it says, They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. You know, when we think about these scriptures and what they're saying and when they were written and who they were written by, David wrote these psalms. Both these psalms tell us about the sufferings of David, but then it interjects and predicts the future sufferings of the future Messiah Jesus. Anybody ever heard of Max Lucado, a great minister, a great author? He wrote in his book, he wrote a book called He Chose the Nails. This is what Max said. He said, why in his final moments was Jesus determined to fulfill prophecy? And then he answered, he knew we would doubt. He knew we would question. And since he did not want our heads to keep his love from our hearts, 
he used his final moments to offer proof that he was the Messiah. He used his final moments to prove without a shadow of a doubt that he was who he says he was, the Messiah. I think if we'd get real with each other and real with ourselves, every one of us as a follower of Christ has had moments in our lives where we doubt, where we've actually wondered about this whole Christ thing. Maybe we've wondered, is he really the Son of God or was he just an imposter, a lunatic that stepped out pretended he was the Messiah? I believe God prophesied what he prophesied, he told what he told, and it came to pass, it came to pass to remove all the doubt, to remove doubt from everyone's mind. There are hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament. You realize that? That the life of Jesus Christ fulfilled, that should give us confidence that he was no doubt who he said he was, that he was no doubt the Son of God. These prophecies were hundreds, written hundreds of years, sometimes thousands of years before Christ's birth. And believe it or not, they all are coming true. They all came true. According to the Old Testament, some of you are going to recognize some of these prophecies. The Bible prophesied that the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. He was. He was to be born of a virgin. He was. He was to enter into Jerusalem in triumph, this day that we celebrate on Palm Sunday. He did. He was rejected by his own people. He was betrayed by one of his own followers. He was tried and condemned. He was silent before his accusers. And guess what, with what I've said so far, Jesus Christ fulfilled every one of those prophecies. But the list is just getting started. Christ fulfilled every one of those prophecies. It also says that the Messiah was to be struck, he was to be beaten, he was to be spat on by his enemies. He was to be mocked, he was to be insulted, he was to be crucified on a cross. He was to suffer next to the criminal. He was to actually pray for his enemies. They were to cast lots for his garments, and the bones in his body were not to be broken. The list goes on and on, but the life of Christ fulfilled every one of those prophecies, and there are still many more to come. And I don't have time to go through all of them today, and some of you are thinking, thank God, amen? But I believe the Father in heaven that loves you and I and loves this world so much wanted us to know that Christ indeed, without a shadow of a doubt, was indeed his Son. That Christ was the Messiah that was sent into this world to save us from our sins. I believe Christ's thirst on the cross was just one of many final statements proclaiming Jesus to be who he says he was and who God tells us he was. But do you realize there are still people today that do not believe the Messiah has come? As far as a big group of people, the Jewish people that follow the real Jewish religion and tradition still don't believe the Messiah has come. And somehow they have dismissed it or they've missed all the evidence. In their minds, they're still stuck on a Messiah that would fit the perception that they think a Messiah should fit. They can't even fathom a Savior that would come and die on a cross. They can't fathom a Savior that would come and give up his life to save you and me. But on the other hand, there are a lot of Jews that have had their eyes open. They see the Messiah for who he is and that he's already come and they realize it's not too late to accept him as their own savior and guess what that option is open to us today if you've never accepted jesus christ it's wide open that that offer is still on the table he has offered that to every one of us so it's not too late maybe you've always believed in god but you've had a little maybe several questions about this jesus thing well, my second point, 
points out more of who Jesus is as he made this uh, statement on the cross, I am thirsty. It shows us that we can trust his word. You realize you can trust God's word. Jesus, without a doubt, wanted us to trust the word of God. And through it all, everything Jesus did on the cross and in his whole journey of life, verified, confirmed, pointed to the reality, the reliability, the credibility of God. Even at the point of his greatest pain, his greatest suffering in his life, Jesus was going to make sure that not just a few of the prophecies came true, he was going to make sure that every one of the prophecies that were spoken about him and in the Bible were going to come true. Jesus picked even this small one we're looking at today, I am thirsty. I believe he chose that on purpose. He wanted us to know that every word of God, even the little ones, even the ones we think are not that important or that significant are important and are significant. Jesus' whole life had been spent fulfilling the scriptures. Even in the Sermon on the Mount, that was early in Jesus' ministry, he said this about fulfillment of scripture. Matthew 5, verse 17. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He said, I've not come to do away with the Old Testament. I've come to fulfill everything that was spoken about me in that word. It was the word of God that motivated Jesus, the word of God that directed Jesus, the word of God that gave Jesus power and strength for life in everything he went through. In Luke chapter 24, verse 32. Remember those two disciples after Jesus' resurrection that were walking out of town down the road to Emmaus? And remember, this guy shows up beside them. They don't have a clue who he is. Jesus has put himself in disguise and they don't understand who he is, but it's Jesus. And listen to what they have to say. They said, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us or with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? That tells me that God is out there to touch hearts and open eyes to his son, the revelation of his son through the fulfillment of prophecies. Some actually calculate that there are over 300 messianic prophecies in the Hebrew scriptures in the Old Testament. There's an article written in a magazine called Science Speaks by Peter Stoner, and he said this. This is pretty amazing. He said the scientific probability that any one person could fulfill just eight specific prophecies is one in ten, one in ten to the seventeenth power. So if we took that number of silver dollars, that number is a big number, one with seventeen zeros behind it. I think it's a quintillion. We took that many silver dollars and put an X on the back of only one of those silver dollars, and we took those silver dollars and laid them over the entire state of Texas. The entire state of Texas would be covered in silver dollars two feet deep. And then we blindfold this guy and tell him to wade out into that sea of silver dollars as far as he wants to go and reach down and pick up one. But it has to be the one with the black X marked on the back. He says, what's the chance that that man would be right? Pick up the right one. He says it would be exactly the same odds that just eight of the messianic prophecies would all come through in any one person. Yet they've all come true in Christ. Think about that. Think about how amazing, how beyond our belief that can be, how awesome that is. That ought to give you an extra boost of confidence that Jesus is who He says He is. Amen? In every moment of Jesus' life, from start to the end here on this earth, He was fulfilling. He was trusting. 
and he was obeying the word of God. You know why he did that? The biggest reason probably is so that you and I could know that we can trust the word of God, that we can trust his word. Point number three of why Jesus spoke these words, I am thirsty, is that he was separated from God. He was separated from God. He needed the living water. He thirsted after the living water. Last week we talked about the spiritual agony that Christ was in while he hung upon the cross because for the first time ever, Jesus had literally been separated from that relationship with his heavenly father. When he made that statement, I am thirsty, he was still experiencing that separation from his father. So I believe that he was not only experiencing a definite physical thirst, he was, but he was more than that experiencing a spiritual thirst like we couldn't even imagine. And I believe John, the Apostle John, was inspired to record that statement that Jesus made to show us that when you and I get separated or are separated from our Father, we're going to have a thirst. You realize that? If you're not with God, you're going to be thirsty. Just like he made our human bodies to have to have a certain amount of fluids, a certain amount of water to survive, he created our souls in such a way that we have to have a connection with this holy God. And if we don't, we're not going to spiritually survive. If we're separated from God, our soul is going to be thirsty. We're going to have an empty spot that can only be filled with God by God. And there's nothing you and I can do as hard as we work. To ever fill that emptiness. There's nothing but him to fill that emptiness. Look what David said in Psalms chapter 42. I love this scripture. And most of us know this scripture. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you. So my soul pants for you, O God. When can I go and meet with God? There's an excitement in David's voice. Can you hear the passion and the longing in David's voice? He has a deep spiritual thirst for God. A deep spiritual thirst for God that can only be quenched by a relationship with God. How many remember the story in the Gospels in John chapter 4 verse 9 about Jesus meeting the woman at the well? Remember that story? Back then a Jewish rabbi like Jesus was not supposed to associate with Samaritan women. It was just against their culture, against their rule. But how many know Jesus didn't exactly follow all the, follow all the religious rules? He broke a few. He broke a lot. He did things his way. So he asked the woman, even though he's not supposed to, he asked her for a drink. Look at look at what the woman did. Verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For the Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. This woman had no idea who was standing next to her, and she definitely had no idea what he was capable of doing. In verse 11, Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with. She's saying, this well is deep. Um, where can you get this living water? Remember back in the story where Jesus, I believe it was the Sermon on the Mount, and he got done preaching and he had to feed over 5,000 people, and the disciples wondered, wondered and probably thought there's no way he's going to pull this one off. And all Jesus did was look over and say, hey, bring me that little boy's fish and chip lunch combo and we're going to have, have dinner, amen? And we're going to all go home full. What I'm saying is when you have Jesus, you have all you need. I'll go as far as to saying you have more than you need. Do you realize that that little boy's lunch not only fed them, but they, filled, they picked up 12 baskets of leftovers after that? There's always going to be leftovers when it comes to God. 
Amen. God can multiply things into our lives like we could never even imagine. Jesus answered in verse 13, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up into eternal life. He's talking about a thirst-quenching, miracle-working water. He's talking about a thirst-quenching living water. You think she's following him yet? No, she's still thinking on the natural realm. Look what she says in verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to this well to draw water. What this woman came to get at that well wasn't at all what she needed the most. Look in verse 16. Jesus told her, Go call your husband and come back. On the surface, we think, well, how polite of Jesus. Man, he's wanting to meet her husband. Go, uh, I'd love to meet your husband, Bob, George, Ralph, whoever he is. And that was more true with this girl, this woman, than he even, no, he already knew. This woman's situation was complicated. Verse 17, she says, I have no husband. It was kind of weird that she was already coming in the middle of the day to get her water because the women came to get their water early in the morning in the cool of the day. This woman came in the heat of the day. Why did she do that? So she wouldn't have to face all the other women that were there, that were gossiping and whispering about her life. Jesus says to this woman, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not even your husband. What you have said is quite true. Jesus wasn't trying to embarrass this woman at all. He wasn't, to trying, he wasn't trying to show off and prove his knowledge and his wisdom. He was just trying to bring to the surface what her deep need really was. And I believe, long story short, he was just saying to this woman, your real issue is that you're going for water in all the wrong places. You're going for water and to try to quench your thirst in all the wrong places. You've had five husbands, and now the one you're living with is not even your husband. He's a friend with benefits, you might say, and you're still not satisfied. Verse 25, the woman said, I know that the Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. The woman at the well, I believe deep down, represents you and me. You realize every one of us have had times in our lives where we've gotten thirsty, and we've gone to all the wrong wells to find that thirst-quenching drink. Amen? You following me? We've gone to all the wrong places to try to find satisfaction in our lives. Some of you are here today and you've got a real spiritual thirst and you've been looking everywhere else to, to uh, quench it. It can only be quenched, satisfied by God. This scripture says Jesus is the living water. He's the living water that wants to come into your heart and quench the thirst, any thirst that you have. Some of you tried everything to satisfy your life to bring peace and joy into your life, to have this sense of forgiveness, this sense of belonging, and you haven't found it. That's why Jesus says, whoever drinks of this water, he's talking about the natural water, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. Think about it. We thirst for the water of drugs, we're going to thirst again. Thirst for the water of fame, we're going to thirst again. Thirst for the drink of popularity, we're going to thirst again. For the drink of, of uh, relationships, the drink of money, finances, entertainment, anything the world has to offer, guess what? You're going to thirst again. But drink of the living water that Jesus will give and you'll never thirst again. Those are his words, not mine. 
You just take a drink of His living water and you'll never thirst spiritually again. That's why He said, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will be come in them. A spring of water welling up to eternal life. A spring of water springing up into eternal life. God has a water, a spiritual water, that He wants all of us to be quenched with, or first to be quenched with. Because He knows that so many things in this world make us a lot of promises to satisfy. But guess what? I found out from personal experience, they'll always let you down in the end. They're not made or designed to satisfy. They're not capable of satisfying all we want or even all we need. But Jesus is. Jesus is that well that satisfies this morning. And I believe if we'll drink more deeply from His well, I believe our thirst will be quenched. So if you're going to thirst, why not thirst for the right thing? How about starting today thirsting for God? I think all of us have been guilty at times thirsting for other things other than God. How about today turning over a new leaf and deciding I'm going to thirst for the right thing today, God. First of all, I'm going to thirst for you. Psalm 63, verse 1. The psalmist said, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I believe the good news is that the emptiness of human relationships and the disappointments of the things that we count on in this world can be a good thing if we let them push us to the cross. If we let them push us to the well that never runs dry. I believe they will remind us that we need something that this world can't provide. They'll remind us that we need something and a source that's so much greater that can drive us to God. Remember one of Jesus' last wounds on the cross when that that soldier took that spear and drove it into Jesus' side? Remember that in the, in the crucifixion story? What happened? Water and blood flowed out from Jesus' side. And I believe that in a sense, in the bigger picture, that was so that our thirst, spiritual thirst, could be satisfied. Living water flowed because it was the blood of Jesus, the living Son of God, the Son of the living God. That living water flowed out. Jesus rose up in resurrection power, which we celebrate through this whole Easter season. He rose up in resurrection power so that I believe with all of my heart a wellspring of living water could spring up within you and me by drinking of the water from the well that will never run dry. You realize when you go through hard times in your life, God is digging a well behind the scenes. When you go through things that you can't understand, God is digging a well. When you go through your hurts and your disappointments, God is digging a well within you. When people walk away from you in your deepest hurts and disappointments, God is still digging a well. And if He's digging a well in you, and you've got a relationship with Jesus, guess what's going to flow out? The living water of Jesus Christ. So if you're in a hopeless situation, if you've got the living water flow out, there's life in, in your disappointment. There's life in your hurt. There's life in your pain that's going to get you beyond the pain. Beyond your suffering. This morning, this woman, the last thing that I'm going to say about her today is I believe she came to her senses. I believe that God's heart got a hold of her heart and she surrendered. Listen to what she says. Sir, give me this living water. Sir, give me this water. I'm going to challenge you today. Can we all say that? Can you say this after me? Jesus, give me that living water. 
Let's say it again and mean it from our heart. Jesus, give me this living water. How about saying this with me? I want forgiveness of my sins. I want to know I'm going to heaven. I want a new life. I'm tired of the old life I've been living. I'm tired of this merry-go-round that I'm on. I need something else in life. I need something more in life. Mean that from your heart because you're never ever going to find that something else until you come to Jesus Christ. You're never ever going to find that in a lifetime of trying until you turn to Jesus. If you put your trust in Jesus, I guarantee you just because He has already said it in His Word and I believe it, and there are over 300 Messianic uh, prophecies to fulfill it, that I believe if He says it, He will do it. If you're putting your trust in Him, He'll give you the spiritual living water that will cause you to never spiritually thirst again. He went through what He went on through on the cross, that thirst, so that we wouldn't have to. you realize that? Some of us are only thirsty today because of choice and trying to satisfy it for all the wrong reasons. When Jesus says, I have living water to give you that you've never known before. And He's given us proof after proof that He is who He says He is. My big question to you on this Palm Sunday is, will you trust Him? Will you trust Him? And will you take a drink from His well of life? Many of you have been drinking from the well of life, but you've kind of stepped away for a while. You've been drinking from His well of life, but you've kind of gotten complacent where you're at. Happy, satisfied with where you're at. Happy, satisfied with what money can buy. Happy, satisfied with what a relationship can do with some other human being. Let me say you're never going to find, oh, those things might last for a moment, but they're not going to last forever. And this water that Jesus is about to give and wants to give and has given is going to give you life. Not just for here and now, that abundant life He talks about, but eternal life. I don't know about you, but I want to drink more of Jesus this morning. Amen? And this morning we're going to celebrate communion. How many remember in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, where it talks about the first Passover that was celebrated? The first Passover that took place was when the uh, Israelites were held captive in bondage in Egypt. And God had sent ten plagues to get Pharaoh to let his people go. The last one was the death angel. The death angel was going to pass over the whole land of Egypt. He told his people to take a hyssop plant and take that hyssop plant and brush the blood of a lamb, a sacrificial lamb on the doorpost and lentils of their heart. And when they did that, the death angel, as he passed over the entire land of Egypt, would recognize the blood on the door put on there by a hyssop stalk. Think about this. I don't believe it was a real coincidence. I believe it was a plan. That hyssop branch was the same plant that we used to give Jesus that taste of wine vinegar on the cross. Think about that. The jar, a jar of wine vinegar said was there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. So it was the blood of Jesus that saved God's people. It's the blood of Christ. It's the blood of Christ that would save this world from sin. It's kind of amazing. It was only John that pointed out that fact. The rest of the Gospels kind of omitted it. John told about it. I believe there were no accidents when it came to the cross. 
There were no accidents. Everything perfectly took place in the order God had set it in order. And do you realize everything was done perfectly out of a love for you and I? Out of a love for the world. The Bible says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Saving the world and saving you and me was the greatest joy in Jesus' life. Fulfilling that purpose for his heavenly Father. This morning we're going to share in communion. I'm going to ask you to stay seated. I'd like the ushers to come for the uh, come forward if they would at this time. Can you say that with me? This is the body. This is the blood. When I see what Jesus did for me, I know what He did for you. I know what He's done for this world. My heart can't quite stretch that far to realize that he would go through what we just saw. We only saw a little bit of what he went through. But he did it because he loved you. He did it because he loved me. He did it because he loved this world. So much of this world that hated him. He loved them. He loves his creation. And this morning as we celebrate together, it doesn't quite seem fitting to even say that word celebrate when you see what Jesus went through. But on Palm Sunday, they were celebrating when Jesus came into Jerusalem. They were throwing down their garments. They were throwing down palm branches and letting this king ride across shouting Hosannas. But on that Friday, things didn't look so good. But Jesus endured the cross. For you, He endured the cross for me and He kept going. He had a mission. He had prophecies to fulfill. He had a love to complete. And He completed that love in His heart for you and me when He went through what He went through on that cross. So this morning, as we share in this communion, I pray that this video that I don't even like to look at would touch your heart in a way that would bring a realization into how far Jesus went for you. He went to the cross. And this morning, how far will you go for Him? He's not expecting you to be a Messiah. He's already been there, done that. He is. He's expecting you to love Him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So this morning, as you take out this little wafer and hold it in your hand, this represents the body of Jesus. Even though His bones weren't broken, His body was broken. His body was battered. His body was torn. So that we could be restored. So that we could be reconciled to the Father. So that we could have the living one that I spoke about this morning. So Father God, in the name of Jesus Christ, I ask your blessing to be upon this little piece of bread that represents your body that was given to us through Jesus Christ. I thank you, Lord God, for your faithfulness. I thank you, Lord God, that you made a way for forgiveness of sins even when there was no other way. You became the way. We thank you, Lord God, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And I thank you, Lord God, that there is life in this bread this morning. As small as it might be, I thank you that there's life, there's truth in this bread. I pray that it would become all that you wanted to be in our hearts, in our lives, and in our minds this morning. As we take in obedience to you, as we look back and remember what you did upon that cross, what you suffered, 
we'll also look forward with anticipation of what you want to do in our lives, who you want us to become. Help us to become all that you had planned and ordained for us to be. Let this little wafer become all that you wanted to be in our relationship with you as we remember you. And as we declare from our hearts, we love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We take this together with your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. This cup that holds this grape juice this morning represents the precious blood of Jesus. The precious blood of Jesus that was willingly given, willingly shed, willingly beaten and bleeding for you and I. So that we wouldn't have to. He took our sins upon that cross upon Himself. He was separated from His Father for a time. I said last week that hurt went deeper than all the pain He was suffering. If you can imagine that. He suffered a separation from His Father for a time. He's restored with the Father on high. He has accomplished His mission and He did it through this blood. This juice that represents the blood represents the blood, the life-giving blood of Jesus Christ. So Father God, in the name of Jesus Christ, as we hold these cups in our hands, we know and understand through Your Word that they represent what You've given on the cross. You gave Your life-giving blood. You shed Your blood on the cross out of Your love for us. That blood that brought forgiveness. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. I thank You that You have not only remitted, You've done away with all of our sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. I pray that You would bless this juice, that it would become in us a wellspring of living water, rising up out of our lives to be all that You've called us to be. I ask Your blessing on it as we share it together in Jesus' name. Amen. Could you stand your feet? God made a covenant promise through His Son for all who would believe. I am so thankful for the most precious gift I've ever been given. And that's His Son, Jesus Christ. And for allowing me to know Him to experience Him in a real way. That He's not this God that can't be found. He's not this God that's hiding from us. He's a God that wants to experience life with us. So Lord God, in the name of Jesus, with every head bowed, every eye closed, we thank You for Your sacrificial love that You have given, that You have poured out from the cross. Lord, I pray that You would create in us or revive in us a spiritual thirst for You in each of our hearts. Let our resurrected, let your resurrected life flow through us each day as a spring of your living water. Not only touching our lives, changing and transforming our lives, but helping us to change the world around us with your love and with your goodness. Help us to stop trying to satisfy our thirst with all the wrong things, going to all the wrong wells of this world. And help us to drink today of you and forever. In Jesus' name. And everyone that believes that said amen. Turn to your neighbor, give him a hug or a handshake, wish him well for the week.
Come back Sunday. We'll be celebrating Easter. God bless you all.